narrative of Jesus, really pre-birth narrative of Jesus, God preparing the way to bring Jesus into this world. We're going to be in Luke 1, 39 to 45, just six verses this morning. We've looked at how the angel Gabriel visited Elizabeth, or visited Zechariah, I should say, and told him that his wife Elizabeth would bear a son, that would be John the Baptist, even in their old age. Then we looked at how the angel Gabriel visited Mary, a young girl from the Galilee region, from a town that at that time no one really would have heard about unless you were from there, Nazareth, and told her that she would give birth to the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of the Most High. Well, this section is the two of them, these two women, meeting together. They're coming together. And here is the section of Scripture where we get that wonderful statement about Mary. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed. What does that mean to be blessed? Uh, we use that term all the time, but what does it actually mean? It comes from a Hebrew word, Baruch. Uh, you may have heard the Hebrew prayer, Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu uh, Haolam. How's my pronunciation, Mitch? Hopefully that's <laughs> not so great. So, yeah, the Korean guy trying to speak Hebrew, not the best. But uh, the, the uh, Greek word in the New Testament is, is makarios, and what the term basically means is happy. Happy in God. Uh, to be blessed is to find great joy, particularly in your relationship with God. And who doesn't want to be blessed? Who doesn't want to be happy in life? As pa- Pascal said, all men seek happiness. It is the motive that we make every decision in life for, including those who go to war and those who stay home and even those who hang themselves. In other words, we all seek happiness and the decisions we make move in that direction. How do we get blessed? Look with me at Luke 1, 39 to 45. Luke 1, 39 to 45. It is great to be blessed. We read this. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessing to the reading, the proclamation, and the receiving of his word this morning. It's great to be blessed. Here's where we're going this morning, 39 to 41. Blessed are those filled with the Holy Spirit. We see that with Elizabeth. 42 to 43. Blessed are those seeking humility before God. And then 44 to 45, blessed are those who believe, those who believe God's word. All right, let's start with, um, 
Sorry, this ball just rolling down just totally distracted me. <laughs> Somebody dropped a little ball that was rolling down the floor here. 39 to 41, uh, we read about Mary. Remember, Mary had just heard from the angel. She will conceive, give birth to the Messiah, even as a virgin. It says, in those days, Mary arose. What days are we talking about? We're talking about Elizabeth being six months pregnant. You, know, you may remember that after five months, she went public with her pregnancy. She kept it secret for five months, maybe cautious, wondering you know, at her age if she's going to be able to deliver this child. And then, lo and behold, by six months, it's well known, Mary arose and went with haste. So shortly after hearing from the angel, she gets up and goes to the hill country to a town in Judah. Remember, Mary is from the north. She's from a small town, Nazareth. And Zechariah and Elizabeth are, are priests from the priestly line. Zechariah is a priest, which means they live near the temple in Judah. So this is a pretty long journey. Uh, we don't actually know the specific town that Zechariah lived in. It was very typical for priests to live either in Jerusalem or one of the small towns surrounding there. But this is a 60-mile journey. Mary gets up, assumedly goes by herself, she's not married yet, and travels 60 miles to go visit her relative. So if you got this kind of picture of Mary as this sort of soft, kind of mousy person, you got the wrong impression of Mary. She's a tough one. She's even at her young age, goes by herself as a woman in the first century down to go see Elizabeth. And as soon as she walks in, she knows exactly where Elizabeth lives. So they probably have some relationship as relatives. Verse 41, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. We'll talk more about that in just a bit. And Elizabeth, it says, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, let's, before we move on, let's talk about that. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. Certainly part of being blessed is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's the interesting thing about being filled with the Spirit here. Uh, John, in the previous section with Elizabeth, is said to be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. A little later in this section, actually Luke chapter 1 verse 67, we learn that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied the song. This is, you have Mary doing the Magnificat, her song, and then Zechariah does his song. Um, so really, the whole family is filled with the Holy Spirit, right? You got both, all three of them filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, one thing we need to clarify that there is a difference in the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament or really the pre-death and resurrection of Jesus, pre-Pentecost time period, and then post-Pentecost. Now, same Holy Spirit. There is only one Holy Spirit, right? He's part of the triune God. He's right there in creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. He's at work throughout all the Old Testament, usually empowering someone for a specific purpose. The Spirit of God comes upon Saul and he prophesies. Or even as we see here with Zechariah, comes upon Zechariah and he gives his song. Something changes after the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, so much so that Jesus says, unless I go, the Holy Spirit cannot come to us. What does he mean by that? The Holy Spirit's already here. He's already at work. He's already filling uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah and John the Baptist. So clearly he means the Holy Spirit's ministry changes. Something different, something special. Um, 
Jesus actually said, it's better for me to go, he said to his disciples, so that the Holy Spirit would come. Now, why, is it, why does Jesus have to leave for the Holy Spirit to come to us? Well, because Jesus had to die and rise from the dead. He needs to conquer death for us all. He needed to pay the penalty for sin in order for us to then receive the Spirit in this new way. So that's why he means I have to depart, meaning I have to depart in the way I'm going to depart, which is through the cross, and ultimately the resurrection and the ascension. But to be filled with the Holy Spirit then, for us as Christians, is to walk closely with God, to, to recognize his presence with us, and even to feel his presence with us emotionally. Now understand that when you become a Christian, actually the very moment, the very day, the very hour, the very minute, second, however you want to say it, that you give your life to Christ and truly belong to him, that you are born of the Holy Spirit, he is with you and never departs you for the rest of your life as a Christian. That's the promise in Scripture. He who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ. That's Romans. When we are born of the Spirit, we can see the kingdom. Jesus said, unless you are born of the Spirit, you can't even see the kingdom of God. If you have a conviction of your sin, a recognition that Christ is the Savior, and you put your trust in him, you have the Holy Spirit. That being said, we are called as Christians to continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, that's a command in the Bible. It's not just a passive, the Holy Spirit fills you or doesn't. We're actually commanded in the scriptures to seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We see this in Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're called to not grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. By the way, that clearly refers to the Holy Spirit being a person, not a thing, not a force, not an it. You don't grieve an it, right? You don't grieve a force. You grieve a person, third person of the Trinity. And we're called to ongoing to seek to walk in the Spirit, which assumes, again, that you can sort of get off the track a little bit, and we're called to get back on the track and to continue to walk in the Spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh. You know, there's a pretty major difference between how Pentecostals see this and how most other evangelical churches see it. Um, so in a lot of Pentecostal churches, you may have heard this before, that you can be a Christian without having the Holy Spirit. So you give your life to Christ, your sins are forgiven. If you die, you're going to heaven. But you don't yet have the Holy Spirit. And that later on, at some point, you get a baptism of the Holy Spirit, and usually that is testified by speaking in tongues, or something like that, and then all of a sudden you are now have the Holy Spirit present with you. If I had to guess, I think this is where the confusion comes from. What they are identifying as receiving the Holy Spirit is really just being filled with the Spirit. <laughs> that during the Christian life, there are seasons that become a little dry, emotionally, spiritually, and then there are seasons in which we are walking closely with the Lord. We sense his presence and we are filled with the Spirit. And that's an ongoing thing, friends. Yes, at times we grieve the Spirit when we sin and he convicts us. He quickens the conscience, gives us a sense of our own sin and draws us back to himself. He changes us from within, changes 
our spiritual taste buds. You know, people say, how do you mature in the faith? How come, you know, I, I just don't understand how you love going to church and you love praying and you love reading the Bible and just those things aren't quite that exciting to me. Well, what happens in the Christian life is God takes away your taste for the things of this world and he changes your taste buds to love the things of God. And all of a sudden, reading the Bible is exciting. It's what you want to do, right? Going to church is what I want to do. No one's dragging me here. I want to be here. I want to worship. I want to sing his praises. Someone might say, Pastor Rick, what should I do if I'm in one of these dry spells and I just don't feel or sense the Spirit of God with me? I would say, seek to be filled with the Spirit. Sing to him. Sing to God. Pray to God. Read his word. Ask him to fill your life again. Seek to walk closely with him. Repent of sin in your own life and give your life to Christ fully. Friends, certainly part of being blessed is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We see that in Elizabeth's life. We see it in John the Baptist's life. We see it in Zechariah's life. And we've seen this throughout 2,000 years of church history, sensing the very presence of God and enjoying him. But notice also Elizabeth's humility. I love this about her. It's so easy to sort of oversee. But verse 42, she exclaimed with a loud cry. So Elizabeth is so excited. She's screaming. She's yelling this out. Blessed are you, Mary, among women. And certainly that is true. I mean, what woman is more blessed than Mary? She gets to bring the Messiah, the eternal son, into this world. I mean, look at even at scripture, Eve, the first woman, can't even compare to bringing Jesus into this world, right? I mean, you could go through Deborah, the great judge in the Old Testament, Esther, who became the queen of the Persian uh, empire, still can't compare to Mary, who brings Jesus into this world. Blessed are you among all women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Recognize, no one's told this to Elizabeth. Remember, no one even really knows what's going on in Mary's life. But Elizabeth does. Something is special about the child in your womb. In fact, she's so humbled by this, 43, she says, and why would it be granted to me that the mother of my Lord... Look at the insight there. She knows that the child in her womb is the Lord. John the Baptist would be called servant of the Most High. But Jesus is son of the Most High. By the way, you know the the Christmas song, Mary, Did You Know? Yes, she did. All right, so that's a pretty easy one, actually. Uh, Not only did Mary know, Elizabeth knew, okay, uh, that the mother of my Lord should come to me. You know, her humility here allows her to just celebrate Mary. I mean, now, understand, they're, they're relatives. Elizabeth is older, right? She's got, she's got a special child. She's pregnant. Now, now, I've heard that moms can be a little competitive, I mean, I just, I've heard it through the grapevine. I've never seen it, right? I just, that that can happen where moms can be a little competitive with one another, right? But with Elizabeth here, she does nothing but celebrate Mary. And not only that, she just enjoys the fact that she's been blessed and used by God in a special way. And that Mary's been blessed in being used by God in a special way. And that 
the child that she's going to bear is, in a sense, superior, more important, at least to God's plan of salvation. He is my Lord. I love that humility. You know what humility is? Humility is a right understanding of who we are. It's, it's a recognition of God is our creator and that we are creature. It, it, I don't want to be God, all right? I mean, that's a terrible thought to even try. I would mess up the universe in the first second, right? I'm, I'm happy to be a, a limited creature who doesn't know everything. And God, let God be God as the ultimate, all-powerful, and all-glorious one. That's good. It's to recognize not only our creaturely status, but our sin, that we are rebels and undeserving of his grace, and then to recognize that salvation is his work for us. That's what humility is. And Elizabeth recognizes that here, even calling the baby already in the womb of Mary, her Lord. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's beautiful to see that she can simply be blessed and enjoy the moment because there is no jealousy. There is no envy. Charlie Munger, the famous billionaire uh, sort of businessman, said the world is not driven by greed. It's driven by envy. The desire for more isn't about wanting it for yourself. It's to be better than the person next to you. And he wasn't praising that. He was recognizing a fallen, a badness about the, the world here. We see none of that between these two women. They're simply enjoying God and his grace. They're simply recognizing the blessing that comes from him. Count your blessings. 10,000 reasons we have and more to praise him and to be grateful for him. You want to be happy? You want to be blessed? Seek to be filled with the Spirit of God and seek to be humble before God and simply enjoy his grace and his blessings. And then we come to this last section, 44 to 45. For behold, Elizabeth says, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. This child in the womb, John the Baptist, is celebrating the presence of Jesus already here in the womb. That he, in a sense, has whatever faith an unborn child can have. Whatever sort of recognition of the presence of Christ. And then, 45, Elizabeth says, Blessed is she who believes that there would be a fulfillment of what has spoken to her from the Lord. Now, who's she talking about there? Well, she's saying this to Mary, but she knows it from her own experience, right? She heard from God through her husband and the angel and trusted him, and that even in her old age, she is able to give birth to John the Baptist, and she's saying to Mary, you are now trusting God in his word. And there's a certain blessing that comes with recognizing that God is faithful to his word and we don't have to doubt him. Before we get to that, though, let's talk a little bit about this child responding in the womb, right? Uh, by the way, the word used there for this preborn child is the Greek word brephos. Uh, brephos means this. Uh, they, they only had one word for this. It means a child, whether unborn, an embryo, fetus, or just born, an infant, or partly grown. You know why? Because it's common sense, right? That the child in the womb is the same as the child outside the womb, right? I'm not trying to get political here, but common sense, common sense tells us that that is the same John the Baptist in the womb as outside of the womb. But notice that he feels joy even in the womb at the presence of Jesus. 
Did you know that preborn children can feel joy and anger and sadness? You know, for a long time, um, they didn't believe, medically speaking, that preborn children do feel emotions. And now they believe they can. This is from an article called Unborn Babies Feel Anger and Joy, says Heidelberg's study. Quote, in fact, babies in utero experience a wide range of sensory input at a much earlier stage of development than once believed. That's the result of a study from a Heidelberg psychotherapist, Ludwig Janus. Dr. Janus's research showed that the unborn child can already feel emotions, such as anger and joy. According to him, there is a close connection between mother and child through which the developing fetus is confronted with a whole range of feelings and sympathizes with him. So the unborn baby could be angry in the womb or have fear, but also feel joy and satisfaction. Sorry, Dr. Janice, but the Bible beat you by about 2,000 years. All right? (laughs) We know that they can feel joy. We have an example right here in the Bible of a child responding to the presence of God. Also, I think we have to say, you know, I don't know. I mean, God is at work even in the very, very young, even in an infant. How much faith, how much can they comprehend? Obviously, very little cognitive ability, and yet God is at work, and they're already sensed the very presence of God. Jesus constantly raised up children as an example for the kingdom of faith. Out of the mouths of infants and babes, you have ordained praise. Um, course in our church we would recognize that children certainly can have genuine faith in christ we would wait until they sort of come to that point of of real clear cognitive profession or confession of faith before we baptize them and so forth but absolutely is god at work among the youngest of our children no doubt about it but elizabeth believed god and says blessed are those who take god at his word who trust him and who believe in him. Spurgeon said this, C.H. Spurgeon, the blind man leans on his friend's arm and reaches home in safety. And so would we give ourselves up implicitly to divine guidance, nothing doubting. Assured that though we cannot see, it is always safe to trust the all-seeing God. Even when we can't fully understand the situation, even when we don't know what God is doing and what he's trying to accomplish, as certainly Elizabeth and Mary had probably had some struggle with understanding God's plan in this, we trust him through it. In fact, the opposite, if that's true, the opposite is also true. To to live a life of doubt, to, to constantly be cynical and skeptical of everything is a miserable way to live. And you know, I hear people say, I won't believe it. I won't believe the Christian faith I won't believe in God unless I have proof. Nobody lives that way. We don't have proof of almost anything. I mean, if you talk to someone and you have a conversation and they tell you about their spouse and what a great cook he is, let's say, you don't sit there and say, well, I have no proof that you have a spouse, so I can't even believe what you're saying. Right? We just we don't live that way. We, we, we trust the evidence. We trust people and to some degree based on their trustworthiness. Actually, friends, if you're someone that says, I won't believe unless we have proof, I don't know what we have proof of, to be honest. Some, I mean, your senses? Our senses constantly deceive us, right? You say, well, if I see it with my eyes, I believe it. Our eyes are very deceiving. In fact, um, you and I, well, I can't say this for everyone here, but most of us here, when you see red, it's red. When you see green, it's green, which are the good Christmas colors, right? 
But if you're colorblind, they both look gray. So what color are they really? I mean, wherever you're perceiving it, there is no set reality ultimately, right? In terms of the co- of color, it, animals will see it differently than us. You, some animals see all everything in black and white. Well, what about your hearing? If I hear it, I have to hear it. If I hear it, I know it's there. You ever heard of tinnitus? People who hear ringing, buzzing, humming, that isn't actually there. People have all different types of tone deafness. Well, okay, touching. I mean, come on, Pastor Rick. If you can touch it, I can trust it, right? Ever heard of neuropathy? Ever heard of phantom pain? Psychosomatic pain? There are all different types of things that are even our sense of touch can't be depended upon. All right, if I smell it or I taste it. Ever heard of COVID? <laughs> How many people here have lost their taste, their sense of taste for a short period of time or even a long period of time? Um, a great test of this, too, is cilantro. Um, who here eats cilantro and it tastes like soap? Not that many, really. According to studies, about 10% of people, when they eat cilantro, it's a certain type of enzyme that makes it taste like soap to them. All right? So even our taste buds are different. What can we trust? A trustworthy God. This isn't faith in spite of the evidence. It's faith in the direction of the evidence. Do I trust my wife? Absolutely. Has she given me any evidence of being trustworthy and faithful? Of course she has. Do I trust God at his word even when I don't fully understand what he's saying and what he's doing in a given situation? Try to. Why? Because he has always shown himself faithful. Even when I'm faithless. And friends, this is a far more joyful and peaceful way to live. Trusting that God is in control. Rod Dreher wrote a book called Live Not by Lies in which he interviewed a bunch of folks who have gone through really Soviet communism and how they endured through these difficult times. And he writes this. But here's an interesting thing. Every single Christian I interviewed for this book in every ex-communist country conveyed a sense of deep inner peace. A peace that they credit to their faith which gave them ground on which to stand firm. God is trustworthy and we take him at his word. Elizabeth says, blessed, happy in God is the one who trusts God at his word. Friends, you want to live a blessed life And who doesn't want to live a blessed life? Who doesn't want to be happy in God? As Pascal said, everything we do ultimately is to pursue happiness. Then seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Seek humility before God. And believe God at his word. This Christmas season... Of course, we celebrate Jesus being born in the flesh. The blessing that comes from God to bring us to himself. And friends, it's a time for us to enjoy it. To be blessed. (laughs) To have fun. To give gifts. To do all the things that we do here on Christmas. Because we recognize that joy is the only real appropriate response to God's mercy in Christmas. 
Charles Dickens wrote in A Christmas Carol, it is good to be children sometimes and never better than at Christmas when its mighty founder was a child himself. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of blessedness. Just seeing these two women, whom we will meet in glory, celebrating, declaring each other blessed, grateful to you for your work, humble before you, accepting your will as servants of the Lord, trusting you at your word and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that that same blessing is available for us who put our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That we can today be filled with the Spirit of God. We can celebrate one another, not live a life of jealousy and envy, of competition, but simply enjoying your work in our lives and in the lives of others. And Lord, we can take you at your word. What you say, you will do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?